This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm Ruth Reeder, and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we'll be talking about how to bring some calm back into our lives. First, we'll learn how one historian can forecast the future. Then we'll get advice on how to drum up your resume and a couple of ideas for some much-needed self-care. This is your fast break. The election is tomorrow, and the outcome has never seemed more uncertain, well, at least for some of us. Professor Alan Lickman, a history professor at American University and author of several books, has devised a system that predicts the outcome of U.S. elections. He hasn't been wrong since 1984. We've invited him onto the show to get his take on the 2020 election and the various unusual circumstances that might affect who gets elected president. Thanks for joining us, Professor Lickman. My pleasure. So I want to start off by asking you about your 13 keys. Could you describe them for me, for my audience, so they have a sense of what they are? The 13 keys to the White House is a prediction system that I've used successfully to forecast presidential election results since I predicted Ronald Reagan's win in April 1982, two and a half years ahead of time, and in the midst of what was then the worst recession since the Great depression. And the keys ignore the polls and the pundits. They pay no attention to the day-to-day events of the campaign, the debates, the speeches, the ads, the fundraising, the dirty tricks, the attack strategies, the sound bites, all the grist for the punditry mills. The keys are based upon the insight that American presidential elections are basically votes up or down on the strength and performance of the party holding the White House. And the keys gauge the record of the party holding the White House. Imagine that it's governing, not campaigning that counts. And the way it works is if six or more of the 13 keys go against the White House party, they are predicted losers. Any six, it's a nonlinear system. So using your 13 keys method, the race between Trump and Biden is really close, but Biden seems to have seven of the 13 keys while Trump has six. And I'm curious, who are presidents that have had similarly close races? Is it usually that close or is it, or do you see one president who tends to have all the keys? Well, my system retrospectively goes back to 1860. And we had one perfect election, Theodore Roosevelt. In 1904, he was the incumbent president and he had all 13 keys in his favor. That is incredibly rare. Other elections where there were a lot of keys stacked on one side or the other was uh, 2008, when there were a lot of keys stacked out against the incumbent Republican Party, or 2012, when Barack Obama was benefiting from having the great majority of keys in his favor. 2016 was very close. I predicted Donald Trump's win which you can imagine did not make me very popular in 90% Democratic Washington, D.C., where I teach. But I did get a note written on the copy of the Washington Post where I predicted Trump's win, and it said, Professor, congrats, good call, signed in big Sharpie letters, Donald J. Trump. And 2016 was razor close. Remember, it takes six keys to count out the incumbent party, and there were exactly six keys turned against the incumbent Democrats, including the fact 
that Barack Obama couldn't run again, which cost them the incumbency key or the bitter battle between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, which cost them the incumbent contest key. And that was a razor close call. And I didn't make that call until September 2016. Whereas in the easier to call 2008 and 2012 elections, I made my call years ahead of time. Well, with this one, you made it earlier. In 2008, I made my call in early 2006. In fact, I became notorious for saying the Democrats could pick a name out of the phone book and things are going so bad for the second Bush term that they could elect that person president. And of course, that's kind of what they did, right? Who would ever heard of Barack Obama? And I called 2012, which a lot of the pollsters didn't call until very late in January 2010, which led to a scathing attack on me by the compiler of polls, Nate Silver, who said, you can't call an election this early. And I said, no, you can't call it using your method of compiling polls, but you can call it using the keys because the keys probe the underlying causal dynamics of presidential elections and can fall into place early. What does this election look the most like? What Does it look like any other election in the past that you can think of? No, this election has some extraordinary special features. Here's what's happened. At the end of 2019, Donald Trump was down four keys, two keys short of a predicted defeat with less than a year to go. Then everything changed in America. We were hit with the pandemic and the cries for social and racial justice. And while Trump acknowledged my prediction, he didn't understand the deeper meaning of the keys, which, every, which is that everything changes when you become the incumbent, not the challenger. You're now going to be judged on your record. And instead of substantively dealing with the pandemic and the cries for social and racial justice, he reverted to his challenger playbook from four years earlier and thought he could talk his way out of them. Didn't work for the country and didn't work for his reelection. He lost three more keys, which gave him the seven. The short-term economy key, because we've had a recession in the election year. The long-term economy key, because even with the growth spurt we just had in the third quarter, there's still pretty sharply negative growth this year, and the social unrest key because of what's raging across the land. So what is unique here is never in the history of the United States has the party holding the White House suffered such a sudden and dramatic reversal of fortune in just a few months. And Donald Trump has no one to blame but himself. He's president, not Barack Obama, not Hillary Clinton, not Joe Biden. It's true. I, so I'm curious, and I think that this this came up a lot during the 2016 election. Are all of your keys equally weighted? Because I think in this country, we think and talk a lot about likability. How charismatic is a candidate? How likable are they? Would you have a beer with them? And I'm curious what you think about that quotient and, and what role it plays. The beauty of the keys is they are unweighted. Most prediction systems have weights because they're big equations, not index like I have. The problem is weights can unpredictably change from one election to the next election where you don't know the answer. And that creates errors. But the beauty of the system is if something is big enough, it will trigger other keys. So I don't have a pandemic key. There haven't been enough pandemics 
to put that in the system, but the pandemic triggered the loss of the long and short-term economy keys that probably wouldn't have happened without the pandemic and the Bosch response, and it contributed to social unrest. And people often ask me, oh, how could the Great Depression of the 1930s only turn your two economic keys? And my answer is it triggered lots of other keys, Republican losses in the midterm elections of 1930, social unrest, and a charismatic Democrat, Franklin Roosevelt, running in 1932, would never plan to run that early. And with respect to the two charisma keys, remember, they're very high threshold keys. They are rarely turned either on the incumbent or the challenger side. And beyond this once-in-a-generation charisma, personality has no predictive value whatsoever. Was Richard Nixon more likable than the extremely affable Hubert Humphrey? Of course not. Was Donald Trump more likable than Hillary Clinton? No, neither one of them was especially likable, but Donald Trump was even more unlikable. So this likability, you know, has no predictive value whatsoever. I want to talk more about predictability and what leads to a good prediction. You've said that the 13 keys focus on governing and not campaigning. Could you talk to me a little bit more about how popular forecasting metrics like polls and the debates sort of fall short of really being good indications of what an electoral outcome will be? Yes. Look, I have nothing against the pollsters. They're friends of mine. They do a very good job within their parameters. But the problem is not the polls. It's the abuse of the polls. Polls are not predictors. They are snapshots. And the snapshots change. And how do you know the snapshot has changed? You take another poll and so on and so on until you reach the election. Unfortunately, the polls play into this phony horse race theory of elections, of candidates spurting ahead and falling behind, depending upon the day-to-day events of the campaign, and the pollsters keeping score. And again, I have nothing against journalists. They're all friends of mine. They do a fine job. But it's the easiest thing in the world to write a story on the polls. You don't even have to get out of bed in the morning. Just read the polls and write your story. Moreover, the media has to cover the election day by day. That's how they make their money. They just can't say, Lickman predicts Biden, see you in five months. They'd all go bankrupt. The other thing about the polls, and I've been railing about this for decades, they give you pretty misleading error margins. When they tell you the error margin is plus or minus 3%, that's pure statistical sampling error. That's the error you would get if you took a sample of red balls from a huge jaw of red and green balls. But there are other errors, respondent errors. And most importantly, you have to estimate likely voters. And that introduces error. And so, you know, at the end, the polls were pretty close in 2016 between Clinton and Trump. And they were well within this broader margin of error that I've sketched out for you. Yeah, but I'm kind of curious about If you think that the 13 Keys has the potential to fall short in a situation where we have a lot of outside factors like voter suppression, Russian meddling, or foreign interference of any kind, really, are there other things that you think might interact with your prediction or sort of change the outcome? That's one of the most important questions you can ask, and I'll answer it in two ways. First, generally, the answer is no. Every four years, people come up to me and say, 
oh, your keys won't work this year because it's different. We have an African-American running, never had that before. We have a woman running, never had that before. We have a candidate like Donald Trump, never seen a candidate like that. And my answer is the keys are an incredibly robust system. Retrospectively, I developed them going all the way back to the horse and buggy days of politics in 1860 when Abe Lincoln was elected. So the keys have endured through enormous changes in our politics, our society, our economics, our democracy. Look, women didn't even vote in 1860. Most African-Americans didn't vote. My ancestors from Eastern Europe weren't even here yet. We had an agricultural you know, economy. We had no poles, no automobiles, no radios, no nothing. <laughs> but beyond that, you know, I've been doing this for nigh on 40 years. I'm 73 years old. I still get butterflies in my stomach every four years. Because unlike the poll compilers who have a trap door, because they only give you probabilities, I give you unequivocal predictions. And two things do keep me up at night. And one is indeed voter suppression. Any predictive system, mine or any others, or the polls, anything, depends on a full and fair vote. And the truth is, Republicans depend upon their base of older white guys like me. Well, you can't create more of us older white guys. We're the most shrinking part of the electorate. You can't, unfortunately, make us live to be 150. But what the Republicans are trying to do, to a degree we haven't seen since the bad old days of Jim Crow, is suppress the rising Democratic base of minorities and young people. They filed lawsuits all over America to make it harder to vote and harder to count legitimate votes. They've called upon intimidators to flood the polls. Trump put his guy in the post office who slowed down the mail. Trump has basely and falsely attacked mail-in voting. So voter suppression really keeps me awake at night, and it's obviously outside the parameters of any prediction system. The other thing is Russian intervention. They're back. They've learned a lot in four years. Trump has done nothing to stop them. In fact, he welcomes them and exploits them. And I'm worried, could they get into our election technology and mess up our election? Yeah. And I do wonder, I mean, these are enormous issues, right? But I do wonder if that, like, how do you account for that? Do you think about altering your prediction method, or do you think that you can account for these things? You can't account for them in, in, in a prediction model because a prediction model depends upon having a long-term base of factors like the economy. You can measure the economy every four years or see if there's a scandal, and there have been plenty of those, but you really can't take into account these outside events. But I have to say, the Democrats are much better prepared this time to deal with these issues than they were four years ago or really any time in the past. They've successfully defended a number of lawsuits, for example, in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. They've kept the count open after election day for mail-in ballots, and they have an army of lawyers ready to defend legitimate votes if there are further challenges and efforts to throw out votes. Well, thank you so much for your thoughts and all of this insight. This has been a great conversation, and I want to thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for an excellent interview, and good afternoon. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Whether you're dealing with miscommunication issues at work or looking for a new job, Fast Company staff writer Pavithra Mohan has some tips on how to manage and improve your communication skills. 
Your workplace communication skills dictate how successful you are on the job, and they also affect your productivity. Showing you have the essential skills to be an effective communicator in different areas can also help you land the job you want, especially if it's a remote position. Here are five key areas to focus on. On average, US employees spend about two hours a week dealing with conflict. These issues can range from minor miscommunication about workload to significant personal problems with peers and managers. Very few employers want to hire someone who's going to constantly have issues with other people and not know how to solve them on their own. Highlight a few ways you've resolved conflicts or used your communication skills to mitigate conflict. This can be particularly valuable if you're applying for a customer service position or any role where you're dealing with people. As a remote employee, you rely on technology to communicate clearly and effectively. One of the best ways to show your mastery of communication technology is to highlight your experience with various tools and platforms. If you're already familiar with the software tools that the company uses, your manager will have to spend less time onboarding you, which gives you a leg up in hiring. When updating your resume, create a small section to list a few common tools to help hiring managers better understand your skill set. If you've ever been in a sales position or been trained in sales communications, don't leave that off your resume. The art of persuasion is important in many positions across industries. If you have the power to win people over, make sure to highlight that on your resume and during your interview. Have you ever spoken to someone who rambles through their thoughts or meanders from different subjects without ever making a point? This may be frustrating in a personal situation, but it's infuriating in a professional setting. Managers are looking to hire people who can provide clear answers to their questions and can address issues with clients, vendors, and management. Showcase how you can organize your thoughts and present clear sentences along with rationale for your ideas. Managers also look for employees who can communicate effectively via the written word. Update your resume to highlight all the ways your communication skills outshine other candidates to win the job and begin your remote work career. Now we'll hear from Fast Company senior staff writer, Liz Segrin, with some advice on how to de-stress amid this very turbulent time. This has been a really difficult year. And to make matters worse, there is a really contentious election that is just around the corner. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling pretty stressed. Self-care could not be more important right now. And I've got a couple of ideas that will help you bring down the stress level a bit and perhaps even have a little bit of fun over the next couple of weeks. You may have heard of the calming powers of a weighted blanket, but you know what's new on the market? A weighted robe. This is a new product from Gravity Blankets. It's a robe that has three pounds embedded in it that relaxes you when you wear it. There's a lot of scientific research that says that if you have some weight on your body, it releases dopamine and serotonin that helps you feel more relaxed. And now not only can you have that experience while you're sleeping or lying down under a weighted blanket, you can now experience it in a robe form. As the weather has been getting a little bit colder, I have been wearing this robe in the evenings, maybe while knitting to just take my mind off everything else that's going on in the world and just kind of feeling relaxed at home. The robe retails for $130, which is a little bit more expensive than your average robe out there, but it does make you feel so calm and relaxed 
all day. If you're like me, you might start showing up to your Zoom meetings in your weighted robe, but that's okay, feels comfortable. Throughout this pandemic, I have baked a lot. I have done the banana bread recipes, I've baked bread, I've done a lot of chocolate chip cookies, but I wanted to try something a little bit more fun during this period, and I stumbled across a new brand called The Caker that was founded by two sisters in New Zealand who are known for their exquisite cakes. These sisters have come up with cake mixes of their best-selling cake recipes. These cakes are delicious and beautiful and you don't even have to go to the grocery store to buy all of the ingredients you would need. My favorite cake is this indulgent chocolate cake. It is so good and it even comes with gold foil so that you can decorate the top. But they have tons of other cakes too. There's a lemon strawberry and a matcha cherry version. When you've had a really stressful day, sometimes you just need to get it out of your system in a mixing bowl. And that's exactly what I've done with this delicious cake. Another thing that's been really working for me during this time is the magical power of CBD. To that end, Kristen Bell, the actress, has launched her very own CBD brand called Happy Dance. And she's created a whole line of skincare products that are infused with CBD and they really have been helping me feel relaxed and comfortable. My favorite product in the line is this bath bomb that you stick in your bathtub and it infuses the water with CBD. But she's also got a line of creams that do the same thing. But if skincare is not your thing, you can always go for CBD gummies and my favorite brand for that is Lord Jones. They make these delicious little gumdrops that are infused with 20 grams of CBD that taste delicious, but that also make you feel remarkably chill. While the relaxing effects of CBD have not been exactly scientifically proven, I've found that if I have quite a few of these CBD gummies, I tend to feel pretty relaxed. But there are days when you really need to take the edge off of a stressful day. And what I've found that's been really helping is a delicious plant-based mezcal that just hit the market. It's called Rosa Luna. What I love about it is that it creates this kind of warm sensation, which is perfect for days when it's cold outside and you just wanna curl up on the couch and feel cozy. 2020 continues to throw curveballs at us. So it's really important for us to be taking care of ourselves and doing things that make us happy and feel good during this dark time. And I hope that some of these suggestions help you to get through the stressful election season. That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ruth Reeder.